Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1. The passage that Pastor Jason read a little bit earlier is a passage that many times when we come to the New Testament, we start reading in Matthew, we kind of just skip through down to verse 18 and start reading about the Christmas story. But I want us to back up this morning and actually spend a little bit of time looking at the genealogy. I want us to spend a little bit of time asking the question, what is it that God wants us to learn from this? If you have your bulletin on the back as the outline, I want to encourage you to fill in as we go through this. Last week, when we started this series called The Forgotten Characters of Christmas, we began by looking at the story of Daniel and how that is connected to the story of the wise men. And we saw the truth that Christmas is God's provision. This morning, I want us to see the next truth by looking at this genealogy. You know, if I was God, I'm not, obviously, if I were God and I was preparing in advance the lineage of Christ, if I was in eternity past kind of laying out who is going to be in the line of Christ and who is going to be in this genealogy of Christ, I would be very particular. I mean, after all, I am sending my one and only son to be crucified, my one and only son to be the savior of the world, my one and only son to become human in order to save mankind. I I would want to be very, very picky about who was in that line. I mean, I would want to be sure that the people in the line of Christ were the most holy, the most righteous the most godly, the most moral, the most pure, the most upstanding, the most respectable. I, I would want to be sure that there was no, no one creeping into the genealogy of Christ that could tarnish his name in any way. I would want to be sure that through the centuries there had been this long line of people that when you looked at them, you respected them. That when you looked at their lives, you would say, that's the kind of life that we need to be living. When you examined what kind of things they were committed to, that you would look at them and say, you know what? That is a godly lineage. The problem is when you start reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through, but really the first six verses, that's not exactly how it plays out. I mean, a lot of names in this genealogy are unfamiliar to us because they're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. But some of them we are familiar. And as I was reading through this and reading through some of these names, there were some of them that kind of came surfaced as being particularly interesting. What I want to do is I want to go through two different lists of characters of people mentioned here. The first is four outcast women. Four outcast women. Now, what you have to understand is that Typically, in this Jewish culture, the names listed in a genealogy would just be the men, just be the the husbands, the fathers. In fact, you see how it's worded, Abraham fathered Isaac. That's how it was kind of measured from generation to generation. So the fact that there are women mentioned at all in this genealogy is interesting in and of itself. It's not normal. It's not what you would expect. But then when you begin to look into the lives of the women who are mentioned, it's even more startling. The first woman we see is Tamar. Look at verse 3. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar was a Canaanite, not even a Jew, the Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah. 
God had taken the lives of her first two husbands, Ur and Onan, because of their wickedness. Judah then, her father-in-law, then promised to give her his third son so that she could have children and then carry on the family name. Through this third son of Judah, she would be able to carry on the name of her first husband as was customary. However, Judah failed to keep his promise and this caused Tamar to do something that when we hear about it, when we read about it, it is shocking to us. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute and seduced Judah into getting her pregnant. And from that illicit union were born twin sons, Perez and Zerah. And through that relationship, they are in the line of Christ despite prostitution and incest. I mean, this is a shocking tale. I mean, did you realize that a woman like that was in the lineage of Christ, in the genealogy of Christ? And don't bother to look and try to find any redeeming virtues. Almost nothing is said about Tamar in the Old Testament. Scripture records no happy footnote, no happy ending to her life. She really is just a footnote in Jewish history, but she stands as a classic illustration of frailty, sinfulness, and humanity. Maybe that's why Matthew included her name in the genealogy of Christ. You see her name, and you read her story, and you see prostitution, you see incest, you see immorality, you see deception. Surely, God wouldn't want somebody like that in the line of Christ. I mean, if I were selecting someone, that's not who I would pick. The second woman mentioned is Rahab. Rahab. You see this in verse 5. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Rahab also was a Canaanite, a mortal enemy of God's people. In fact, when we first encounter her in the biblical account, she's nothing more than an idolatrous, outcast, Gentile woman whose profession is a prostitute. You know her most likely, in the, in the, if you grew up in Sunday school, Rahab the harlot. That's what she's known as. Her most memorable act in Scripture is that of telling a lie. The second woman mentioned was guilty of prostitution, but for her, this was not just an act, this was a lifestyle, this was a profession. Rahab was an inhabitant of Jericho and protected the two Israelite men sent to spy on the city. She hid them and then lied about hiding them in order to save their lives. And the end of her story, she ends up fearing God. She ends up being someone who respects the God of Israel, but early on, not at all. Despite a life of prostitution, she is the great-great-grandmother of David. She is in the line of Christ despite this life that she lived. Again, I don't know about you, but this is not who I would have chosen. I would have not have chosen Tamar. I would not have chosen Rahab. Your third blank on your outline is Ruth. Also in verse 5, you see that Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. You say, Ruth... We're familiar with Ruth. This third woman mentioned, like the previous women mentioned, is a Gentile. 
She was from the pagan Moabites. You say, who are the Moabites? Well, the Moabite, the entire Moabite population, the entire Moabite race was the product of incest. This group of people is the result of incest between Lot and his two unmarried daughters in order to preserve the family line. Their very existence was so repugnant to the Jewish people that there were laws about this people not even being able to enter into places of worship. Listen to Deuteronomy 23.3. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. You hear what he says? This group of people is never to enter the assembly of the Lord. It doesn't matter if you go back ten generations or go forward ten generations. They are never to enter in to the worship place. They are never to enter in to the assembly of the Lord. Why? Because they were the very enemy of Israel. The man that originally married Ruth did so in violation of the Mosaic law. Despite the fact that she was a Moabite, despite the fact that she was a former pagan with no right to marry an Israelite, she ended up being the great-grandmother of David and in the line of Christ. I mean, I would want to be sure, if it was me, I would want to be sure that those people in the line of Christ would be people who were pure Jews, who were holy, who were righteous, who were not idolatrous, who were not immoral. But that wasn't the people we see so far. The fourth woman mentioned is Bathsheba. Bathsheba. You see in verse 6, And Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Who is Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. The fourth woman mentioned is simply mentioned as the wife of David and former wife of Uriah. If you remember the story, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. When they found out or when it became known that she was with child, he sent Uriah to the front of the battlefield in hopes that he would be killed, which he was. He was not only guilty of adultery, he was also guilty of murder. But not only from, from his standpoint, she was also guilty of adultery. Despite her being involved in this adulterous relationship, she was the mother of Solomon and in the line of Christ. Their firstborn child, as we'll be reminded in a few minutes, their firstborn child died as a result of all of this. I mean, just pause for a second and think. The four women mentioned in the genealogy of Christ are not people you would put there. I mean, characteristics of immorality, idolatry, not even Jewish people, not holy, not worshiping the one true God, not committed to God, not the kind of people that you would look at their life and say, those people deserve to be in the line of Christ. Look at their lives. In fact, when the Jewish people reading this and listening to Matthew, when they would have come down and they would have saw these people, they would have been in shock Why would Matthew mention these people? We want to hide them from our history. We we don't want to mention them. We don't want to highlight them. It's almost as if he's nominating people for a hall of shame. Two harlots, a cursed Moabite, and an adulteress. The only four women mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Every one of them an outcast. Every one of them not deserving to be there. Every one of them characterized by everything opposite of Christ. It doesn't stop there. I want you to notice two popular kings. You know both of these kings. The first one is David. Verse 6, And Jesse fathered King David. 
Pause right there. Jesse fathered King David. We just mentioned Bathsheba, but you know David's life. Sometimes we like to focus in and we highlight the fact that David was a man after God's own heart, which is true. The Bible clearly says that. But we can't escape the fact that he is guilty of adultery. He's guilty of murder. I mean, if, if you're putting together the lineage of Christ and the genealogy of Christ, you would not want a murderer in that. You would not want an adulterer in that. David sinned terribly, committed adultery, committed murder, but he's in the line of Christ. The second king mentioned is Solomon, his son. And Jesse fathered David, verse 6, and David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon, who was David's son, was also king of Israel and is probably best known for being the wisest and richest man to ever live. But it should also be noted that despite his wisdom and despite his wealth, he struggled to find purpose in his life. In fact, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, what you begin to see is he that this book chronicles his journey to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life. In fact, over and over and over again, he, he describes what he tries as vanity. It's worthless. It's, it's futile. He tried pleasure, alcohol, possession, possessions, and hundreds of immoral relationships. And the result of it all is that he hated life. In fact, In chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, it says, There is nothing that he saw that he withheld from himself. He tried everything. And despite his years spent in immorality and searching for meaning, he's in the line of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read the names of these six people, and I look at the background of these six people, I am amazed that they are in the genealogy of Christ. They were consistently involved in idolatry, consistently involved in immorality. Some of them spent a large portion of their lives doing the exact opposite of what they knew God wanted them to do. Some of them spent a large portion of their lives not even worshiping God at all. Why are they in the line of Christ? I'm convinced that the reason that these individuals and all of these individuals are listed in the lineage of Christ is because it is a reminder that Christmas is about God's grace. Grace is the gift of God as expressed in His action of extending mercy and forgiveness and salvation and loving kindness. Jesus Christ was sent to the earth to overcome all the failures of these people. He came to be the holiness that Tamar could not be. He came to be the morality that David could not provide. He came to be the justness and the righteousness that Solomon could never live up to. He came to be the the holiness and the righteousness and the morality and the godliness that he expected, but yet these people could not manufacture on their own. See, the temptation for me and you here this morning is to step back and say, I never did any of the things that those six people did. I've never lived that kind of a sinful life, but the truth is for all of us this morning that we are just as much in need of God's grace as these six individuals are. You're sitting here this morning, and you may not be guilty of prostitution or incest or murder or any of these other things that we've talked about, and you may sit here and say, yes, they needed God's grace, but what you desperately need to understand is that you are just in need of God's grace this morning as Tamar was. You are just as much in need of God's grace this morning as David and Solomon and Bathsheba and Ruth and Rahab. 
We have no right this morning to sit back and point fingers at them and say, aren't they glad that God came and saved them? The reality is these individuals are a reminder to us all that apart from the grace of God, we have no hope. If you were waiting or wanting to read a genealogy that was filled with moral, perfect, holy, righteous, faithful individuals. If the genealogy we read in Matthew is filled with those kinds of people, the holy and the righteous and the moral and the godly and the upstanding, there would be no need for a Savior. See, when I read Matthew chapter 1 and I read about these individuals, I read about their immoral lives and their ungodly lives, I am reminded that we desperately need the grace of God. Christmas is about God looking out, seeing his people, seeing the world filled with humanity and saying they have no hope. And if I don't do something, if I don't send my son to bring them my grace, to bring them my love, to bring them my forgiveness, to bring them my salvation, they will die in their sins. And that is why the Bible is so clear that Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. And it doesn't matter this morning whether you're over here in the camp with Rahab and Tamar and all these individuals, if you're in this camp and this is the life you've lived, or if you're somewhere in your mind over here, and you're not guilty of that, but you just have some hypocrisy and you have some pride and you have some selfishness. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of sinfulness. You all need God's grace. We all need God's grace. Christmas is about God's provision, we saw last week. This week, Christmas is about God's grace. The grace, don't miss this, the same grace that's evident in the genealogy of Christ is active today. The same Jesus that redeemed these individuals in Matthew chapter 1 is still seeking to save those that are lost today. No sin, no matter how hideous, puts a sinner beyond the reach of God's grace. He is able to save, as Hebrews 7 says, he is able to save them to the uttermost. Christmas is about God's grace. And see, as I read through this and I read these names, or as we listen to Jason read these names, It should be a reminder to us, every person listed is a sinner with no hope. And your name may not be in the genealogy of Christ, but we could go around this morning and each sign our name to a piece of paper, and if we held that piece of paper up, you know what one thing we all have in common? We're sinners who need God's grace. If we take Christmas away, If Christmas did not happen, if Christ had never been born, we would have no hope of God's grace. And you know what that means for these people in this lineage? If Christ hadn't been born, I mean, this wouldn't be here. They have no hope whatsoever. And the same is true for you and me this morning. If Christ had not come, if Christ had not been born, we would have zero hope. The only reason why we can stand up this morning and boldly and proudly and enthusiastically sing, Christ is the Lord, is because Christ came to offer his grace. So what is Christmas all about? Why was Christ born? Christmas is God's grace. I read a story this week that it's somewhat humorous, but at the same time it 
kind of drives home a point. This guy who wrote this was chronicling this event that took place in his life, and I'm going to read some of this. He said, being from the South, I love ribs. I figured there'd be a few amens there somewhere. He said, I remember hearing about this particular restaurant that had amazing ribs, and a bunch of my friends and I drove 50 minutes to get there. The place was packed, and the food was great. It was all-you-can-eat rib night. Amen. (laughs) He said, so we dove in. The pile of bones on the plates around us was piling up as fast as the line was to get in. He says, as you know, eating ribs is messy. Barbecue sauce gets on your face, fingers closed, dirty napkins pile up next to half-eaten bowls of baked beans, coleslaw. You have ears of corn on the cob all around. He said, when our crew had eaten all we could eat, we paid our tab, and he, as he put it, waddled out to the car. He said, that's when I reached into my pocket to get my keys, but only found lint. He said, panicked, I looked through the window of the car into the ignition, hoping that maybe I'd locked my keys into the car, but I looked in and they weren't there. And so I started tracing back in my mind, he says, to where I might have laid my keys, and I remembered I laid them on my tray in the restaurant. They went back in to the table, but they had already taken the trays, they had already dumped the trash, and they had already thrown it all in the dumpster behind the building. He says, me and my friends walked around the building in front of the dumpster. We stood there. My friend started backing up. (laughs) He says, I knew what I had to do. I rolled up my sleeves. He said, it was too long to walk home. I had no family, no friends in the area. My friends, other than who were with me, they weren't going to help. So I rolled up my sleeves, and I jumped in the dumpster. I fished through bones, beans, barbecue, corn, cake, coleslaw, and a host of soaked napkins. Don't that sound like fun? (laughs) A shiny layer of trash can slime had coated my arms before I finally grasped a hold of those precious keys. There was something valuable that made it worth diving into the mess. So when we think about Christmas, we think about the incarnation of Christ, we think about Christ being born, I want you to picture it a little bit differently than maybe you've pictured it in the past. God looked down on the trash can of humanity into the slime and the dirt and the grime and the mess, and he saw you. He says, that's worth saving. That person's worth saving. And I know it's going to be messy, and I know it's going to mean the the death of my one and only son, but those keys have no chance of getting out of the dumpster on their own. We have no chance of saving ourselves, of cleaning ourselves up. The only hope we have is for someone to dive into the dumpster, to look through all the mess, to find us, to give us grace, to bring us out, to clean us up, to redeem us, to save us. In one way, as this author put it, and he doesn't mean this disrespectful at all, in one way, when we understand the coming of Christ that way, God was dumpster diving to find you. Because he saw you and he loved you and he said, you are worth saving. 
And you read through this genealogy and you really begin to see very clearly that the humanity, these people in the line of Christ, they made up this dumpster of mess, this dumpster of sin. But then we have to also understand we're right there in that same mess. We're right there in the midst of the grime and the slime. Just ima- Sometimes we like to look and we like to compare ourselves. I'm not as bad as that person. But what you have to understand is when we get thrown in the dumpster, we're just all one big mess. And we can't get out on our own. And we think about Christmas, we should be reminded that God looked down into the dumpster saw the mess, saw the nastiness, saw the filth, and said, I love them so much that I'm going to send my one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christmas is about God's grace. See, the truth this morning is we all deserve to be laying in the bottom of that dumpster, But it is by God's grace alone that we can stand this morning and boldly sing, Christ is the Lord. Praise his name forever. If there's any time of year where I believe that we should be filled with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving, it is during Christmas time. And I want to challenge you, if you take any time over the next few weeks to read through this Matthew account of the birth of Christ. Don't skip down and stop and start in verse 18. Start in verse 1. You may not be able to pronounce all the names perfectly, and you may not know all the backgrounds, but some of these names that we've talked about and some of these others will stick out, and it should remind you, these people are sinners just like me. They needed God's grace just like me. God, I am thankful for your grace. Are you thankful for God's grace this morning? Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.